Number, please. Hello? WOTW Radio in Cayuga, New Mexico, and this is the news for the hour. Now, what would you like to tell us about yourself? I don't know. Cool. Aren't you like some big science girl? Tell me about science. Welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Adam Kautzer, and with me today is uh, Scott Phillips, uh, my semi-regular co-host i guess yeah you're, you're, yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, turned into a regular gig absolutely absolutely and today we're actually not talking about a filmmaker uh we're not talking like some heady pro- uh topic we're actually uh, doing a one-off on a very special film called the vast of night um but before we get to that we're gonna do all of the housekeeping items at the top of the show so i'm gonna actually hand it over to scott so he can tell you where you can find him on social media and such yeah, I'll go through it really quick. My name is Scott Phillips. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at mscott underscore Phillips. Uh, I do video reviews uh, for a CBS affiliate in Georgia. Uh, you can find those at wrbl.com. The show is called The Screen Scene. So if you go to that site, you can find the archive of all of my reviews. And then the vast majority of my written content is uh, with you, sir, at the movie aisle. Absolutely. Uh, you, uh, I'm Adam Kautzer. I'm the editor-in-chief of the movie aisle, which uh, Scott writes for. Um, you can find everything about the movie aisle and the B-Movie podcast on themovieisle.com, uh, social media handles. So I'm going to just give you the podcast handles and the uh the website because my personal you probably don't really want to follow me there um but if you want to follow the show it's uh b movie pod the letter b the word movie the word pod b movie pod uh that's for twitter instagram and uh not facebook but if you wanted to follow us on facebook you would just go to the movie aisle um, on Facebook, you would just search that and you'd be able to, uh, follow us there, like us. And so you can see where, uh, like articles and, uh, podcasts are dropping. And then also on Twitter and Instagram, the, uh, handle for the movie aisle is the movie aisle, all one word, no dashes, no lines, no anything. So with that and all that out of the way, we are actually talking the vast of night. Um, so just a little upfront, we're, we're doing mild spoilers. We're we're not going to talk about the last twenty minutes of this film, but we are going to be talking about the rest of the, the first hour of the film because the the, the movie is only like about eighty eight minutes. But um, to talk about it a little bit, we kind of do need to get into some kind of the mechanics and what makes it so special. But um, just to give you a little idea, uh, per IMDb, uh, this is the plot. Uh, this is the 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 plot that they give in the twilight of the 1950s on one fateful night in new mexico a young switchboard operator faye and a charismatic radio dj everett discover a strange audio frequency that could change their small town and the future forever now scott and i have both have seen this now this movie is not supposed to be out until march 13th but we wanted to start to bang the drum very loudly because um i'm gonna actually hand it over to scott and ask him where he saw it and then i'll talk to you guys a little bit about how i saw it yeah, I'm uh, I'm fortunate enough to be a uh, regular film festival goer uh, across the country. And so last year, for the first time ever, 
uh, I decided to try the Overlook Film Festival. I'd heard a lot of good things about Overlook. It's held in New Orleans, uh, which might be the only place hotter than where I already live. <laughs> and uh, and so I decided I was going to go. The lineup looked really good. And it's interesting because uh, if you don't go to, you know, to, to festivals very much, you may not understand kind of how they do the programming. But, you know, they're doing their best to make like if they have two, three, four venues up and running at the same time to make all of them equally tempting. You know, they don't want everybody yeah. to show up at one venue and them have to turn people away. And so there's always, you know, multiple good things playing at the same time. And so I had spotted Vast of Night in the little uh, catalog of films. And I thought, wow, that sounds interesting. But then it was going up against something that I really wanted to see. And so I was like, mm, I guess that's one of the ones I'll miss and I'll, I'll catch up to it later. And so I happened to be at one of the Saturday screening, like a late afternoon Saturday screening. And it was the screening where they announced the awards. Mm. And so best feature film for the entire festival was Vast of Night. And so I thought, wow, seriously, this debut film was up against, you know, uh, Jim Jarmusch's film. The Dead Don't Die was there. <laughs> uh, the Lodge was there. Uh, Larry Fessenden's new movie, Depraved, was playing. And so, I mean, it was up against a lot of talented filmmakers. And as a debut film, it won their best of the fest. And so I thought, all right, Sunday's got to get reconfigured uh, so that I can see this thing. And so I moved my schedule around to go see Vast of Night. And, you know, sure enough, it it knocked me on my butt uh, uh, when I saw it. And, and very shortly after that, probably texted you something along the lines of, dude, this is the real deal. Yep. And, uh, and so they had told me, it's really weird. I actually knew one of the producers on the movie. Uh, in a roundabout way, I uh, I have a, a film festival that I work for uh, that is a short film competition festival. And he and a friend of his had actually entered a film into our festival. And so I had met him uh, before. His name's Adam Dietrich. And uh, and after the screening, I, I asked him, I said, uh, you know, where do you guys stand with distribution? And so he said, well, we're working on something right now. I really can't talk about it, but it would be a really nice, you know, distribution get uh, for us if it happens. And so I haven't had a chance to talk with him again to see if the, the release with Amazon uh, is what he was talking about. Obviously, at times, you know, you could have one deal in place, it fell apart, and a new better deal replaced it. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, so at the time I think they were sniffing around this possible partnership with Amazon. And so now, uh, we're going to have, does it have a theatrical release or is it going to be straight to prime? Do you know? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I do know. It's actually going to be, uh, both. It's going to be theaters and then prime. So it's going to be, it's going to be a similar model as the report. So it's going to be two weeks in theaters and then, um, it's going to premiere, uh, on VOD and prime, um, I think like two weeks later. So your, your theatrical, I think is around March 1st or so. And then the, um, prime debut is around the 13th of March. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Well, that was a long story as to how I wound up seeing it, uh, and, and found out where it was headed, but it's just kind of you know, a small world. I mean, what's the chance that somebody who runs a, a little short film festival uh, in the state of Georgia uh, bumps into somebody in New Orleans 
who uh, wound up working on his his favorite film of the festival. So just small world occasionally. No, absolutely. I, I do remember you telling me about that um, because I like as soon as you texted me, I'm like, oh, shit, where can I see this movie? And you're like, dude, it doesn't have distribution yet. And you're like, but hang tight. There might be something I or he, the dude tell you like you told me the whole story. And so I was like, OK. And so when it actually played Fantastic Fest, I think that's when they had announced that it was actually they got their distribution through Amazon. Um, and I saw it because of the fact that it was an advanced screening. They were they had like I think they only had three advanced screenings in L.A., Um but I, because of the fact that Scott had made it a point uh, to tell me how strong a film it was, and his review is like I stayed away from his review because whenever I see a film, whenever like Scott has a, that strong of a reaction to a film, I always want to kind of like okay, let me see it first, and then I'm gonna read his, his I'm gonna read his review, and it, I mean literally he like you know I had to wait six months to read his review, but when I did <laughs> after the film, it was just like boom, it was exactly. Um, it's exactly the film that you, you want, you, he was promising. And I'm actually going to link, uh, to his review in the show notes, um, or in the show notes when it posts so that you actually have, you should actually have it right now, um, uh, to actually look at because he doesn't give any spoilers. He gives just enough to actually to actually entice you uh to see the film and of course my mine is not going to be able to post until uh, um until around the uh the week of the release and i want it like that because we're trying to get the drums out here because this is a kind of a great it's not kind of it is a great film <laughs> it is <laughs> uh, it is well you know you go to you go to festivals at least i do mm-hmm. <clears throat> looking for that kind of, as I describe it in my my written review, that diamond in the rough. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to festivals looking for that movie uh, that just is is just a, a knockout, just just out of nowhere, just you know, knocks you on your butt. And uh, and that always had had become you know kind of my formula for going to a festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you said. I don't know, uh, you know, what's a movie that's coming up? Like Antlers is an yeah. upcoming horror film that's going to be hitting in April that's getting a lot of good buzz. If I went to a festival this weekend and you said you can see Antlers now or you can see this other highly touted movie that you've never heard of, I would go see the movie I've never heard of because I have no idea what its distribution status is. Absolutely. So, you know, you may not ever get a chance to see it again. They actually keep a running list on a Facebook page of the <laughs> movies that have played Fantastic Fest in Austin that have yet to receive distribution. Yep. And and so that's the fun to me of going to a film festival is to see stuff you may not get another chance to see. Absolutely. And so that and so when Vast of Night won best film uh, at the Overlook, I really figured that I'd probably get a chance to see it again, but I was just so intrigued. I had, I had to see it. And so if it was up against, you know, a movie that was going to get, you know, released on 1500 screens a few months later, uh, I can always catch up with that then. You're absolutely right. I mean, the choice is always, um, and this kind of like talks to like what we kind of talk, like we've had a through line through the years about this, like this kind of conversation in, in anything, in any work, any podcast work that we've done, which is, is that like festivals are like, they are a lot of money and they are a lot of investment, 
for people, but they are so worth it just for the experience. Because I feel like if you're if you're if you're a film fan and something hits you, it's like chasing the dragon. Like you know that first pure cinematic hit that you get, whatever it is. I feel like you're always trying to chase that high again, that film, that film high that you you start to see regular films and they're just they they don't hit in the same way. Um, festivals are the way to kind of get that because they're you're going to see films that like you know don't have any distribution. They don't have any buzz except for the buzz that has been built around them at the screening with like-minded individuals. It's not like your uncle Jerry is coming up to you and saying, Oh yeah, you know what you need to see. You need to see the Richard Jewel, something like that. As an example, like you're not, it's not, it's, 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 it's coming from a place that <laughs> like, you know, it, it's that freaky mind that like, you know, we have like the, the, the wanting and needing to see everything out there, seeing 400 to 500 films a year. Like when you hear another like-ended individual say, yeah, you need to see this. Um, that's the kind of buzz that you're getting at a festival. And, um, you know, I take it really seriously when Scott tells me about something that I need to see. And yeah, like the, the Facebook group that he's talking about, join it and see there are movies still from 19, uh, from 2015 that haven't found distribution, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, I'm glad that this one did get distribution because it's such a it, it, like it's gonna like for certain people, it's gonna rock them in the right way. Like, um, which kind of brings us to I think that like a great segue to um, the style of the film, because I think that that's something very specific they they've done. And I think that that's what if it hooks you, that's what's going to hook you is the is the kind of style because i even the the director i was actually doing some research because like we've talked about before like sometimes when you find a film that you love or you find something that you really dig you want to know as much as humanly possible about how the film was made and sometimes it's just not out there but luckily enough because this played fantastic fest and the directors and producers have had a couple of interviews um about the film um, you kind of get a little bit more information. And what I loved was the director, um, when talking about some of the style, he said, you know, the logic was between him and the writer producers were, okay, there's nothing we're doing here that is breaking any new ground. And they, that kind of, that kind of like, like that, that kind of like realistic point of view allows for, some really interesting things because they did a lot of really interesting things. Um, I was going to ask you, Scott, like uh, there's a framing device. I would love to talk about that kind of the paradox theater and like how that kind of ties into like this kind of weird, strange, perfect homage to 50s sci-fi and television. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, you know, they kind of let you know, I mean, to, to say, what is a spoiler and what isn't, I think just kind of depends a little bit on how alert you are when you're watching the movie. <laughs> uh, you know, because I mean, when it is said in Roswell, New Mexico, mm -hmm. you already have an idea of what genre we're dabbling in. You know, I mean, it's not a coincidence that that's where it's set. Uh, and then likewise, you have their own version 
of like a, a Twilight Zone or something like that playing on the television. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so they're letting you know, you know, this is, this is going to be something science fiction flavored. It's probably going to have something to do with, you know, a UFO kind of concept, extraterrestrials, what have you. And, uh, and then they drop you, you know, into the film. And so, but it's, it, the amazing thing I thought about the movie is, that it does have the ability to telegraph to you a little bit of what is coming and then it's still riveting nonetheless. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, obviously I won't discuss the, the ending of it, but you know, to me, the journey in this movie was so amazing that even if you don't like the ending, which I think you will, but even if you don't, it doesn't really matter. No, you know, it, it is in no way going to tarnish everything that came before it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's um, what I said in my review that's going to be coming out is I was like, um, the vast of night is the wherein lies the power is not in the answering of a question, but the question itself. And that kind of like leads to what I feel is like what Rod Sterling's power was as a, as a filmmaker, um, as somebody who created like these, these, these like, you know, short films. I mean, that's essentially right. what's, what, what um, the twilight zone was, uh, was that it was in the power of asking the questions and how the questions are, uh, are asked and not so much the answer, even though the answer is important um, and Vasta Knight does that really well is that it's not like the the payoff is 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 good. Like, I'm not going to take away from the payoff, but what the film does so well is it's the buildup and the getting to the it's the journey more than the destination, which is right, kind, which is kind of fantastic. Um, yeah. And it's just it's done with with so much flair and, and yes. so much style. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I see some movies at times that are just so static that I wonder, you know, I wonder why you didn't just write a novel, you know, I mean, I mean, you wrote a screenplay. I wonder why you didn't just write a novel because you basically make no use of what the medium has to offer. And this film is like the exact opposite on, on that spectrum, from, mm-hmm. you know, long takes of which there are a couple that are just amazing uh, to just, you know, just the visual style of it and everything. They make the most of the fact that this is being recorded on a camera. And and that may sound funny, but what I'm saying is, is just if there is a stylish way to do something, if there's an engaging way to do something, that's the route that they choose rather than just set up the camera pointed in a particular direction and let your actors act. No, absolutely. And, and, and so that's one of the things that's so arresting about it is uh, just, you know, it's just a a visual, you know, feast. Absolutely. The, the, those tracking shots are just amazing. Like they're bravada uh, tracking shots that don't like what I loved about it was, is that it didn't really take away from the film. I know that a lot of tracking shots or oneers, as they like to call them, take away from mm-hmm. films. This one really kind of informed geography. Um, yep. Yep. It, it, yep. 
kind of gives you a, but not only geography, but a time of a, a, a place, like a time and a place. Like absolutely, uh, Kyoga, uh, Kyoga, uh, or Kyoga, New Mexico is a is is a made up town, uh, right? But when you you wouldn't know that from the way that they shoot it, you would actually think it's an actual town, um, and it's just it the filmmaking and the style is so kind of like you, like you said, you're so used to static, like, and, and people like just mounting the camera and doing things in a very static manner that when you see something like this, but it's not moving for the sake of movement, like there's purpose for it. And there's a, there's a reason why you're doing all of this. Um, it's, it's pretty startling. It's it's like one of those things where uh, it's like what me and Scott have talked about before about like, you know, seeing 400 films a year when you see something that's 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 elevated, you're instantly attuned to it and you instantly stop fidgeting and you just kind of watch. It's like um, I, I, I like I liked your your whole like when you first saw The Irishman. And you told me you were like three and a half hour movie and I didn't get up to use the bathroom once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's that kind of elevation. And yeah, I'm going to fucking compare it to like a Scorsese film because it's like the filmmaking in this film is so shockingly elevated beyond what you were used to, even in some of the good um, genre films that you see out there. Well, you know, the um, the director was there. And and mm. some of the actors were there. Uh, uh, I can't think of her name off the top of my head, but our lead female oh, uh, uh, was uh, was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so they had a Q and A at the end of the screening. And like one of the shots that you're talking about, there's this long tracking shot through the town. Mm-hmm. And in essence, what it's doing is the female protagonist is at her job at the switchboard, and her 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 friend who is a boy. As I said <laughs> in my review, as to whether or not it's her boyfriend, I'm not sure. Uh, but her friend, who is male, uh, is working as a DJ at the local radio station. And at the time, there's a big basketball game against one of their in-state rivals going on at the same time. So it's like the whole town is virtually empty uh, at the local you know, high school basketball gym uh, while the two of them are off working their jobs. And so the tracking shot kind of takes you from point A to point B. Here's character number one, and we'll take you on this kind of circuitous route through town uh, to where the other character is. And so uh, I had no idea that my office phone actually rings on Sundays. Can you hear that? <laughs> yes, I can. Yeah, that's that should be rolling over to some kind of voicemail uh, service of some kind. So great, we'll get the... Uh, uh, the occasional ring on the, on the podcast, <laughs> uh, but uh, but anyway, and so it's yeah, it's like you said, it establishes the geography um, in uh, in the film, and so it goes you know down a street and onto another street and through somebody's yard and actually into the gym. Uh, where they're playing the basketball game and then back outside and on down the road. Uh, And it's just this amazing shot that is kind of showing you the town and showing you uh, the time period. And so uh, they said that they shot that on a go-kart. Oh, gosh. Okay. That they had had a camera mounted on a go-kart. 
And so I told them that I didn't see any cut. Like, you know, I was asking in essence, mm-hmm. kind of like a 1917 question yeah. of, is there somewhere that you digitally cut that? And we just couldn't see it. And he said, Oh no, it's a, it's a continuous shot. Oh, but he said, you have to understand that, you know, I mean, there are low budget production filming in a small town and it's a period piece. So he's like, you know, you'd be zipping down the street, shooting this in this go-kart and you'd pass a Honda Accord at the curb. Oh, and so he said, what they did was that the CG work is just removing the anachronisms. Ah, okay. And he said, and one of the other things I never thought about because I'm not a, you know, VFX professional Mm -hmm. is he said, sometimes the way that you do that is you just add something. Yes. He said, you just digitally put in like shrubbery (laughs) where the, where the Honda Accord was was. sitting. Yeah. So that you don't see it. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So he said that the only, he goes, there's CG in that scene, but he goes, it's not like you would think. He said, it's not to cheat on the unbroken take it's just to cover up the stuff that you know just production wise you know i mean it cost you millions to uh to you know truck in 11 million period cars and get everybody to move their vehicles and build facades and all of that kind of stuff so he said that the digital work uh was just removing the stuff that wasn't of the era oh that's that's so great. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. I love, I love when like filmmakers, especially low budget filmmakers decide to really kind of push the envelope and work hard rather than try to fix something in post, like on a continuous shot. Like that's not what I feel like is a fix in post. I think, I feel like that's like an addition to like, that's like solving problems ahead of time. And knowing that that's going to be a problem, but still doing the wonder and not trying to break it up, which is really kind of fantastic. Like that makes like what you see even more, um, even more relishing because of the fact that the, these filmmakers decided to do exactly like what you want them to do. Yeah. Um, which is, well, and, and when you, when you factor in that, I think the shoot on this film was 17 days. Yep. That's what it was. 17 days in 2016. So like this movie yeah. was filmed, um, w- was filmed f- almost four years ago, uh, which just kind of tells you the kind of hard work that goes into a film of this kind of nature. Like, you know, somebody who really actually cares and you can tell that they actually care. I mean, everything like everything is considered in this film, like even the grading, like a thinking about it now, like like the the color grading of the film and how mm-hmm. they approach this film, which is very um, I think I I told a couple of people it's very early Malick um, in the way that it's very low light, very natural light, but they also up the the grain. Are they uh, like? I guess it would be the false grain because they. I I'm pretty sure that right. they filmed. They filmed with like an Ari Alexa or a Red, some kind of digital mm, camera. Exactly. Like, there's no way that you could like as an independent production do these kinds of long takes without the kind of use of a digital a digital format, which is great. Like, I like if if more filmmakers used the kind of format to, for this kind of stuff, I would be, I would be more, I, w- I would be more su- accepting of people using digital. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, they, they definitely, you know, grain it up so that it looks more of the era. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, yeah. It'd be total distraction to just have this beautiful, perfect 4k picture in the 1950s. 
there's something just kind of a mental disconnect from that. Uh, but you know, one of the things that, that, you know, I guess to, to get back to the actual, you know, plot Mm -hmm. of the film, uh, you know, you have the, uh, these people who are working, uh, the, uh, the, the female lead is working at the switchboard. The male lead is a DJ there in town. Uh, and they start experiencing this burst of static, uh, this strange. And, and so, uh, it, it, the movie it really winds up being, I referred to it in my review as like verbal set pieces. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, because, because what they do is that they're, they're smart. It's, it's like clever. It's like using what you have. And so the kid who's a DJ, uh, puts out there, Hey, we're experiencing some strange interference down here. This is what it's kind of like. This is what it sounds like. You know, can anybody who has any experience with this, give us a call. And so then they get, you know, the eventually the right call, so to speak, the one that moves the plot forward mm-hmm. uh, in the film and leads them other places. And it's it's once again just this great verbal monologue or give and take between somebody who we never even see. No, it's it's a caller on the phone talking with him, and literally just the writing of of these scenes. You're just sitting on the edge of your seat. And and then they have another character that they get to meet face-to-face later in the film who gives this extended monologue uh, telling her story that fits into their little puzzle that they're putting together. And it's another riveting part. She was there. The woman who plays oh, that character was at the festival. That's great. Uh, yeah, and, and got a chance to talk about doing it. Uh, but you know, when I, when I got a chance to meet, um, Andrew Patterson at Mm -hmm. the the end of the screening, the actual writer director, I said, you know, it's amazing. I said, you break every rule of screenwriting (laughs) that they would tell you that you should adhere to. And this movie's amazing. And he looked at me and he goes, really? You know, like I broke a bunch of rules or something. It was like, you know. Uh, he he wrote it the way that the material needed to be written without mm-hmm. some preconceived notion uh, of what, you know, the alleged rules of writing a screenplay are because his reaction was surprise. And I said, well, you have, you know, what people, if they wanted to be critical, would call like exposition dumps. Mm-hmm. You just have like these info dumps along the way. I said, you're telling me instead of showing me. And then I said, and then at one point, the screen literally goes black and all you hear are voices. And so you remove the visual element from the film at one point and just hear voices. And I said, these are the kind of things that they tell you don't do, you know, show, don't tell, you know, don't have long patches of, you know, dialogue explaining everything, show it to people instead. Uh, you know, uh, you know, no dead air, so to speak, you know, with the, <laughs> the picture going black, uh, and everything. And he kind of smiled and he was like, you know, I never really thought about that. And, and the bottom line is it's because the way that he does it is perfect for his story. Absolutely. And, and also it's a way to, you know, to do it within a budget. I mean, how are you mm-hmm. going to, you know, ultimately knowing the punchline to the story, which we won't give in the podcast, if you quote unquote showed all of the stuff that these people are telling, the budget would be too big. 
Oh, yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. You just, you just couldn't do it that way. And so he's found these great actors, one of them the voice actor with the, the telephone call, mm-hmm. uh, and then this other uh, older woman who is in the film closer uh, to maybe the middle of it, uh, and uh, and just incredible performances, uh, you know, a really good, uh, uh, you know, story, something intriguing, something where we think we kind of know where we're going, but we don't know for sure. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's like a magic trick. Absolutely. It it definitely is a magic trick. And, and like what I love about that, what I love about what you were talking about is, is the, the writing, like the writing is so good. It's not just like genre based writing. Um, it's, it comes from a, like, I keep on going back to Malik. It goes back to like an early Malik, early Spielberg, like, um, like uh, Sugarland Express kind of very, very local anachronistic dialogue. Like I love, I love that in films. Like when you can get a film that allows characters to talk naturally, but talk in a vernacular that is specific to that kind of region at that time or what we, what we think of in that time. Um, and like, there's like the first 20 minutes of the film is Everett, uh, the, the, the DJ, the boy character going through into the gym and just being in his environment and going about his night, the, what he would normally do. But within that, you're getting these snippets of dialogue and which you don't think you think at first it's just kind of random, but it becomes more purposeful in a very artful, in artful way, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And then when he finally meets up with Faye and well, like, I love what you, what you said about how you don't know if she, what they are to one another, other than they have a strong chemistry and they have a back and forth that says that they're at least friends. If not, mm-hmm. Something maybe more, but but there's a whole story that you like it's it's filling in the edges for yourself. And like, that's my favorite kind of storytelling is that you're not telling me everything. You're allowing me to fill in the gaps with my mind, which goes back to the whole thing of going to black. Um, uh, like, you know, uh, the, the screen going to black when Billy starts uh, the Billy, the one of the callers starts talking about what he did um, and how his, how the radio signal informs on his experiences in life. And, uh, it's it's like this perfect amalgamation of like like show don't tell but tell don't show and uh <laughs> exactly. it, it, but it works it like you know them breaking the rules that well like what i love is that they didn't know that there were rules to be broken and they just made the film to what they thought was the best way to tell it exactly you know and this is i mean this is proof positive out there, you know, if there are any aspiring filmmakers listening, uh, you know, Andrew, uh, Patterson's day job is doing like corporate videos mm-hmm. and stuff like that. He does photography and videography and, and, and corporate videos and things like that. And he just had this project that he was developing just a passion project. Uh, of his. And so finally, you know, things fell into line. He met the right people. He managed to get enough funding, though not a lot of funding, uh, and put this together and then look at it. Boom. You know, it's going to wind up being an Amazon release. And I mean, he's going to be on the map when this thing drops. 
And so, uh, you know, follow the dream. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, it can happen. And, uh, and, and he did it. And that's, what's so amazing about this is, is when you watch it, you're going to think that it is a film made by a well-established, uh, filmmaker, you know, somebody yeah. who this is maybe his fifth or sixth release. Uh, and so I think that's one of the amazing things about this story is that it's such assured filmmaking, you know, it's so mm -hmm. confident and, uh, you know, that this is the way that it needs to be done and just, you know, don't waver from the vision that you have, uh, as to how it should be realized on screen. And then it just works like gangbusters. It, it does. Uh, and I think like for me, it's like when you watch it after you start thinking about it and then you start reading about like the conditions in which they made this film, there was nobody there to tell them that they couldn't do something. And I think that right. that's <laughs> that's where like the magic happened was. And I think that that's where like I I, I hope like this kind of like these kinds of films energize me because it means that there are voices out there. There's still voices out there that are not like wanting to make TikTok videos and Instagram videos. <laughs> They're fucking like they really want to do stuff like we know some like, you know him better than I do. But somebody that that's around your area, John Hauser. Like, he feels like, like, it feels like, like, he's like one of those guys, like, like one of those guys that has a voice in his head that's compelling him to do whatever he wants to do. Yep. No, no, you're exactly right. And, uh, and, and that's what, you know, leads to things feeling original. Exactly. Uh, you know, because I mean, the source of this film is very obvious. We've already been discussing it, you know, Twilight Zone episodes, mm -hmm. you know, amazing stories, things like that. It's like a riff on that. But the point is, is it's just done so with such an original slant, such an original approach, such a unique visual style that the old becomes new again. And and so that is is what happens in in this film. And it's clear that, you know, he just kind of had a vision for how he wanted to put it on film. Uh, and he did. And uh, it was interesting that uh, when I had a chance to speak with Adam Dietrich, the one of the producers on the film one on one, mm -hmm. uh, he was saying to me that the town was so supportive. He said it was just amazing. Uh, how excited that they were about the film and that like, you know, he, he would meet regularly with like the local sheriff and make sure that they weren't running afoul of anything. And that instead of people giving them grief or considering them to be trouble, it was like they were rolling out the red carpet. Uh, I can't remember. There was one scene and, and, and I saw this movie back in, in May of, of last year. So I can't remember what it would have been, but he said something about it required them to spread some gravel. He said they needed to spread out some gravel. And I don't know if it was, oh, I think I remember what he told me. It was to cover up uh, some fairly kind of modern looking uh, road painting that, ah. that existed uh, in a scene. And so they decided to cover it up with gravel rather than do it digitally. And he said literally townspeople came down there with shovels and started helping them spread the gravel so that they can meet their timetable. Wow. That's great. Like, like, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was very much like a, you know, kind of a community partnership between this town, uh, and the filmmakers. And, and it's, it was just really a, a story of just kind of generosity by everybody, uh, embracing this, uh, this film production so that they could, you know, make their schedule. 
So uh, really, really cool. I hope that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the one that is already all the way down the road going, gee, I wonder if it goes to Amazon, if they'll have a Blu-ray and if it'll have a commentary and <laughs> behind the scenes, whatever, and all that. But I would love to hear uh, more of the, the behind the scenes filmmaking stories on this production because everything that they had to say during the Q and a was just fascinating. Yeah. Um, actually with going with that, um, I, I was so struck by this film. I don't normally reach out about interviews, but, um, as soon as I finished and they like, you know, like just a little insider baseball for everybody, you, you know, I get P, like we both me and Scott get like, you know, we have relationships with PR firms that send us screening requests or like send us like, you know, PR stuff. And, um, when I got the, when I got the email, like after you go to a screening, the first thing that happens is that they ask you how the film, what you thought of the film. And normally I just say, yeah, it's great. Da, 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 da. Or no, it wasn't for me, but you know, still going to write a review. Um, but when this one came out, the, inst- the first thing that I did was I'm like, I reached out and I said, I need to talk to the talent involved with this, anybody that I can, because it's just such a great, strong film. And I want to make sure that the word gets out there. Uh, so I'm hoping that uh, I'll be able to get some interviews with the filmmakers and we'll be able to post them here on the podcast to give you even more coverage, to give you some kind of like insight into the behind the scenes of the making of the film. So stay tuned, guys, definitely. And and one thing that I did want to say, I know we're not, not finished yet, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I hate saying stuff like, you know, the female protagonist or the actress or the whatever. Uh, the female lead is Sierra McCormick. Yes. Uh, is her name. And she she's great in the film. I had a chance to uh, talk with her uh, at the uh, festival screening uh, and just really interesting young lady and, and, and very talented. And then uh, the fellow who's the male lead is Jake Horowitz. And so uh, I didn't want to go without saying their names because they are uh, actors who do tremendous work. Um in this movie. And really, I mean, it's, it's a lot to shoulder. I mean, if, if their part doesn't work and if their dynamic with each other doesn't work, this thing's dead in the water before it ever even gets started. Uh, if, if their relationship is not believable, if they're not engaging, if we're not interested in them, then by the time they start getting to some of these verbal set pieces, as I called them, uh, that start filling in the mystery or what have you, at that point, you're probably checked out. You, no. you probably just don't care. No, you don't. And, yeah. Yeah. And so their, uh, their dynamic with each other and, and their performances are just really good and really natural. And it just always amazes me when, you know, a performance virtually looks like improvisation, but you know, it's not, oh, I mean, absolutely. they just look like two people who are just kind of hanging out and, uh, and to think that they are working off of a written screenplay, it's just, you know, really impressive. No, absolutely. And and the way that the, at the beginning they 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 like the best way I can say it is they vibe with each other and they make it sound so natural. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of techno speak at the beginning, which is not it's not even techno speak. It's just kind of archaic techno speak um, because they're talking about a um, they're talking about a, a, a tape recorder. But the way in which they're talking about it in and the way that they're they're talking about how you interview a subject and it really informs on their relationship and there's like so much unspoken between the lines rather than um than like being obvious and inferring stuff like with super text it's all subtext and 
right how they actually and it's not just them like it's a twofer it's these two people primarily but there's so many great little performances in this film mm-hmm. like absolutely like the people in the car that they go up to like the 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 multiple mm-hmm. different families and people that are in cars um is is like a bit of like a slice of a like a slice of Americana and I know that sounds hokey but it's it's the only way I can put it that like a regional specific Americana that feels real like it, it doesn't feel forced and that's part of the magic trick is that it lulls you into this like the, its own verisimilitude its own reality with these kinds of this vernacular that it it creates that doesn't feel like like doesn't feel like a trick it doesn't feel like it's trying to be like a quentin tarantino film but it has that verbose language like a tarantino film does right yeah no you're you're exactly right and uh you know and the other thing that is nice about it is it it is so good along the way that it is not a film that that relies on its ending as we said before yeah you know it's kind of like you know poor m night Shyamalan (laughs) made the sixth sense uh with just you know a jaw dropper of course of a of a twist ending and then all of a sudden he became mr twist ending yep and and really the way people wound up watching his films was it was like you know kind of sort of paying attention along the way but what they're trying to do is figure out what's the big hook going to be yeah. And and so they stopped really watching the movie for what the movie was itself. And 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 just became invested in I'm going to try to outthink him. I'm going to try to figure it out. I'm going to try to come up with the twist. And then I think when they came up with the twist in a movie like The Village, <laughs> then everybody said, "Oh, that movie's just awful. What a piece of crap." And I don't really know that I agree with that. We could have a separate podcast on that issue. <laughs> but the point is, is, is it was plenty of people thought that they'd figured out the magic trick. And so consequently, they didn't think the movie worked for them. Yeah. And so the nice thing about, you know, the vast of night is it does have a very cool ending, but the the movie is just so compelling along the way that I did not find myself sitting there going, gee, I wonder how this ends. Oh, I wonder if this is going to happen. My mind was just kind of racing along with the characters as they're getting this information. And I was so engaged in the movie beat by beat as it's moving along that, you know, I probably didn't think about the ending until the ending occurred. No, that was my experience too. Um, There was a moment, there is a moment that pays off that you're not expecting because there's so much they're putting so much energy into a certain specific thing that when I think you know what I'm talking about the moment that snapped and you go oh crap oh crap it's like maybe five minutes before the ending do you know what I'm talking Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. yeah absolutely like that's when I knew that like and I didn't even think about it until the end of the movie like once like everything happened I was like Man, that moment. How did they get? Oh, I know how they got me. I know absolutely how they got me. And it's like you were right. Like with Shyamalan is it's the whole thing of like we want like I I get tired of wanting to like people wanting to know about the magic trick during the magic trick. It's like they they're so like people are so like. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they're so insecure 
in letting a filmmaker trick them or let them be smart, like let a film be smarter than them. That we've gotten and gotten into this competitive thing of like, oh well, I knew how I knew how it was going to end five minutes before. It's like this whole competitive thing where you kind of ruin yeah. things for yourself, which I try not to do. Like, of course, like you know, there's all the whole thing of like level of artfulness, and in here, like the level of art artfulness is like the Spinal Tap eleven, like which I think comes from also like going back to the fact that they just didn't know any, they didn't know nobody was there to tell them no, you couldn't do this. Which I love, like I love that yeah. that yeah. approach. Um, well, and 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 it was also a perfect storm of just commitment by the participants. Like yes. when I spoke with uh, Sierra McCormick, mm-hmm. uh, who plays Faye, I said to her, I said, you know, I said the amazing thing is, I said, I believe that you were a switchboard operator from the 1950s. And, you know, she, she's such a young actress, you know, she probably doesn't remember VCRs yep. and, uh, you know, uh, and, and yet I thought, and she said, well, it's funny that you should say that. And she thanked me for saying it. She said, I have one of those boards in my hotel room. What? And during pre-production, I practiced making it look real. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So she had one of those switchboards, like, you know, uh, an actual switchboard uh, set up in her, you know, hotel, motel, whatever their budget could afford uh, room. And she said during pre-production and, you know, during the shoot and everything that she would sit at it and work on making those motions fluid where you'd pull out a cord, put it in here and all that. So she's like, I wasn't really just kind of ad-libbing that at the moment for the first time ever. She said, I actually practiced those movements and talking while I was doing it and everything like that. Because, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot to a lot to be thinking about during those switchboard scenes. Yeah. And so she was actually rehearsing them, you know, on her own time. So oh. one of the things is especially when you're limited by budget, when you're limited by days of shooting uh, and everything like that. I mean, having a, a cast and crew as committed as these people clearly were. Uh, to bringing this vision to life, you know, there's there's just no substitute for that. No, absolutely not. And just a little bit about like something that. Um, <laughs> so I just saw VFW. Um, it, it's we're recording this around uh, Valentine's Day weekend. So I just saw I just saw VFW, and she's actually in VFW. She plays one of the punks in the film. <laughs> I don't think I noticed that. I've seen VFW. That's cool. Yeah, it's like which is kind of crazy. Like to think that, like I mean, this just tells you the power of an actress or actor. uh, How, like, she goes from something so like so meditative as uh, the Vast of Night, and to something as rocking, socking punk rock as VFW, and you would never know. Like, like she's that great of an actress. Like you watching her in this as opposed to that it's just something that i um like i had to take a step back when i was doing my research and i was like okay what else has she been in i mean obviously she's like you know she's had to have other works before and since and when i saw that i was like oh crap i'm like oh crap okay <laughs> um which is just all to say yeah you guys should see vfw too but that's yeah, that'd a, be another good uh, b movie podcast episode absolutely i think that 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 one is probably something that we will have to schedule because it's such a uh it's such a great uh great little kick-ass movie um <laughs> with a lot of great like b movie alums uh but but yeah um she 
she, like the like her and uh the uh, Jake Horowitz the guy who plays Everett both like have these very technical things to do with equipment like old school analog equipment that they do it so specifically and they do it with because they're doing it with the dialogue that's playing out that's a hard thing to do like any actor will tell you having business to do like that and making it look act like look real at the same time that you're having these conversations Right. It's it's one thing to do it when you know what you're doing, but it's another thing when you're given a piece of equipment that you have no idea about. So it, it is really like, you know, like what you said, like the acting in here is so elevated. It's like they're so they're so good at what well, they're and doing. It, and, and it's important because it tells you so much about the character. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you can tell that they're like smart they're responsible, you know, they're capable, uh, you know, basically like while all of their friends are off, you know, having fun at a high school basketball game, they're working Yeah, and they're working in a field that has these technical requirements and knowledge that they must possess, uh, to be able to do their jobs. And so it basically serves as almost like a shorthand of letting you know what smart, young, responsible people these are so that then when they get caught up in what they get caught up in, it's just that much more believable. Absolutely. It, it really is. And and I think that, that like, you, again, like, it's one of those things where uh, it's smart filmmaking. It's just really smart filmmaking. And, and you wish, you would hope that more genre filmmaking was like this, but unfortunately it's not. It really is not. This is this is a very special. This is a very special movie, and um, in and I hope that people don't take a look at this and just see it as something that's more simplistic than it really is, and really kind of appreciate um, appreciate what these filmmakers have done. Yeah, it's it's high on my list of of. Uh you know, shows that, uh, shows, I'm all of a sudden talking TV, <laughs> uh, films, uh, that I really want to show, uh, to friends. Yes. And so, you know, they're movies when I see it that, that I think, you know, I can't wait for so-and-so to see this or so-and-so to see this. I can almost think of my friend roster in my brain where I'm like, you know, these people have got to see this film. Mm-hmm. And so I look forward to it uh, dropping on on Prime so that I can introduce some people to it who might not otherwise uh, check it out because it really is a, a, a gem. Absolutely. And that's like, like a perfect way to wrap this all up. Uh, guys, you like uh, the vast of night is the real fucking deal. Like I'm uh, like, uh, like honestly, it is the real deal. Uh, see it when it comes to um, Amazon prime, but I would actually tell people when it comes into, when it's released in theaters, if it's in your area, make the trek because the theater experience is for this one is, is a definite because it forces your concentration. And this is a movie that yeah. requires your concentration. Yeah. It would be great to be able to see this movie in an environment where you can't pause it. You know, you can't get up and go check your laundry, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's just, it truly is so immersive, uh, that if you get a chance to see it in a theater in a nice dark room with a big picture and sound, uh, and, and just be immersed in it, that, uh, it'll work 
even better. Absolutely. And with that, guys, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, go see this. Go see this movie, please. Um, and then we, me and Scott both know. We know we've been touting the Bong Ho, uh, Jun Ho episode for so damn long, but we we're we're getting to it. Like Oscars are over with. Bong won a whole bunch of them. We wanted to make sure that we actually covered it post Oscar, so that will be coming soon. Uh, there'll probably be other episodes, also one offs uh, that we're going to be doing. So just stick around, stay tuned, um, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, and we will talk to you soon.